this stuff. Hello, and welcome to Play This, the podcast where two old friends talk about video games, what's going on in the world of video games, and then recommend video games for each other to play, and then talk about that. It's a lot of talking about video games. Uh, I'm Max. And I'm Daniel. And uh, Daniel, this is the first episode. What are we doing? So, uh, we are... Um, we're going to do a lot of video game talk. Obviously, we're going to cover news. We're going to talk about what we're playing. Um, the main thing we're going to do that I'm really excited about is we're going to recommend each other video games in every episode. Like, we're going to go back and forth. Like, I think this episode, you have a game to recommend to me. I do. Uh, and next episode, I have a game to recommend to you. Um, and in each episode, we'll go back and forth, and we'll also, like, get to... Uh, talk about like, um, so the assumption is that we're going to also play these games that we recommend to each other. Well, yeah. Um, so after you recommend your game to me this episode, I'm going to play it and then come back up next episode and tell you what I thought. You mean I can't just like read the Wikipedia article? About the game? <laughs> um, I, th- I think that would hurt my feelings if you did that with oh, my sure. game. Um, but yeah, I think that's the basic gist of it. Uh, every, every episode will include like impressions, uh, starting with next episode anyway. Um, and a game recommendation, um, based on what we think the other will like. And we, we've known each other for, oh God, uh, Minimum of 15 years. Yeah, so... Uh, to 16 years, 2001. Idea being, we're pretty confident we'll know what each other likes. Yes. Um, actually, uh, I think something interesting we should do is uh, we should try to say what each other's video game taste is oh. to start. Um, like, you should say what you think... I like about video games, and then I should try to do the same thing. Oh, this is you. fun. Okay. It's like, who wants to be a millionaire? How is it like, who wants to be it's a millionaire? It's like a game show. <laughs> that was maybe not the one I should have gone with. Uh, unless I can phone a friend. Because <laughs> if so, my friend is you. Right. <laughs> so, Daniel, what, no, um, let's see, what kind of video games do you like? You like video games that have... Um, really unique stories and characters. Yeah. Um, I, I'd say um, if we're like looking at a pyramid of gameplay or a pyramid of what makes games good and you've got like story as one, um, you know, corner mm-hmm. and you've got mechanics in another corner and graphics in a third corner, I would say story mechanics and graphics in that order are probably the most important thing to you. That's good. Yeah. Yep. That That's about right. Um, yeah. What, uh, what kind of stories am I into? I don't know why I asked you that. I'm not sure if I know the answer to that. Bedtime stories? <laughs> uh, um, I I think a lot of um, games that you have connected with over the years or that have stuck with you over the years um, kind of tell really personal uh, but also far-reaching stories. So, you know, your favorite Final Fantasy is Final Fantasy IX, which yeah. is a story about, like, a ragtag group of, you know, ragamuffins who um, like rags. No, I just want to say rags again. Um, who kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, 
What I lost the thread of what I was saying. Oh no! Said rags again. <laughs> <laughs> I think your favorite, you know, a good example will be that your favorite Final Fantasy is Final Fantasy Nine, which uh, is, in my opinion, um, that era's greatest story in Final Fantasy, uh, yeah. and maybe kind of its least compelling combat in a Final <laughs> Fantasy game from that era. Um, and, and, and so I think it's like the the humor, uh, the personality. Yeah, uh, the depth of that game that comes through is what's really important too. Yeah, man, you got it. I love Final Fantasy IX for those reasons. Like, it tells such a great like story about these characters in this world specifically. It's very good, um, and it is absolutely worth stomaching the admittedly simple battle system <laughs> to do that for me. Yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Um, okay. Uh, you, like... Should I, like, lay down for this? <laughs> like, is this therapeutic? <laughs> uh, you like... Um, you, you like games that are very, uh... God, I'm choking here, I'm dying. Um... You, you want to use one of those lifelines? <laughs> Pull the audience. Quick. If you're listening, press A on your phone if you think I like sports games. Uh, Max does like sports well, games. Sports games are great. Yeah. Um, nah, he, he gets mad in like every single year. Well, I used to. Really? That's, I wouldn't say that's true anymore. What What is the Madden that you skipped? I've skipped probably five out of the last six Maddens. Wow. Okay. Maybe not to that extreme. I think well, we can have a conversation about Madden at a later date. Kind of <laughs> what's happened to the state of video games since EA got the sole oh. licensing rights from the NFL, but oh, that's geez. a whole other conversation. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, but you, you do Welcome en- to Daniel Max Shit on EA, <laughs> the podcast. Oh, man. Uh, stay tuned, everyone, <laughs> for later this episode. Uh, you, uh, yeah, you like sports games, but you also tend to like, you also tend to like very, like, uh, story heavy games um but you like mechanical like me more than i do um you because you tend to like games with involved battle systems you're an rpg guy so you do love stories um but you really like tactics rpgs um which is a genre that i haven't sunk my teeth into quite as badly um and you like uh um i'd say I'd say if we're doing the same hierarchy uh, that we did for me, uh, story, uh, mechanics, graphics, I'd say, I'd say mechanics are are the winner for you, and then story and graphics are like tied. I I think I think you like games that are beautiful. I think you like games that really like make a statement, like with their look, they like they stand out, um, and I think, uh, um. I think if a game isn't satisfying mechanically, you'll stop. Interesting. Um, I feel like I know myself so much better. Right <laughs> uh, like your f- one of your favorite games is Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, <laughs> also, what, welcome to the Final yeah, Fantasy. Well, <laughs> There's probably like thirty of those already. <laughs> oh man. Uh, okay, wait. What's what's another example? <laughs> no, I can no. Give Tactics is a good example. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's one of your faves. Like, although I will say, while Tactics is a great example, it's probably my favorite game of all time. It, it maybe doesn't do justice to the story question because, like, right. the story in that game is incomprehensible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> like that. That's that's the thing, right? For me, in Final Fantasy IX, I will like I will stomach the graphics for uh for the story. For Final Fantasy Tactics, you will you will wade your way through uh, that that nonsense <laughs> so you can like get the most out of that class system yeah i right? think you said graphics earlier you think you meant mechanics oh yeah Fantasy nine. oh um, well the graphics are also not great now but yeah they've aged they've pretty well then, they've, yeah. they've aged pretty I well think actually mecha- well, that's yes right. yeah sorry yeah you will you will sit through the you'll sit through the story uh for the mechanics sake um this is actually a really interesting conversation that we can come back to later when we talk about what we're playing now, because I think the game that we'll be talking about in that section is yeah. kind of the epitome of this conversation. Yeah, that's actually a good uh, point. So just um, put a pin in that thought for later. Okay. A lot, lot of suspense. We're holding our audience in. Oh, what what are they going to talk about? <laughs> uh, so <laughs> why don't we talk about a little bit of what's going on in the uh, video game world this, uh, this week? Yeah. Uh, well, maybe not this week. Let's start with a little bit older of a news item. But you know what? We weren't doing this podcast during Paris Games Week. Yeah. So we'll talk about it now. Cool. And suck it, listeners. Um, <laughs> that, that's a good That's a good start, right? That's a good first yeah. episode. Just tell your listeners to suck it, like, immediately. Um, okay. That's, uh, that's how we build. Like do it again. <laughs> suck a take. Maybe more gravitas. Um, so Paris Games Week happened, uh, and I thought it'd be interesting to run down some of our personal highlights. We're both PlayStation 4 owners. Uh, neither of us are PlayStation uh, 4 VR owners. And right. I think a lot of the, the news from that um, conference was about the VR. But yeah, uh, yeah start, I think, with uh, Daniel. What, what are you excited about coming out of Paris Games Week? Okay. Um, so there, there were a couple uh, things that I really liked uh, when I watched Paris Games Week. Um, the first was... I'll start with an older game that we already know about, uh, the Detroit Become Human trailer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was cool. Um, it was uh, actually, I I guess like uh, some of the Paris Games Week trailers were a bit dark. I'm like, wow, this is what you're showing to like <laughs> millions of people. Like, this is the chunk of the game, like the the Last of Us Part Two trailer, right? Yeah. Like, I was like, wow, that's man, that's not what I would have picked to to show like the first like game engine trailer for for that game that like that was intense um i think detroit become humans trailer was also like intense sure very mature storyline yeah yes um but i think they i think they showed that a bit better than they showed last of us part two um and i guess i guess it helps that i'm already excited for that game right like uh like they showed they've showed cutscenes already where you're like you're an android policeman, like, right. trying to de-escalate a situation. They've shown where you're the head of, like, you're the head of, like, an android uprising. Um, and in this this cutscene they showed, you're, you're the android maid, and you're trying to solve a domestic abuse situation. Right. Um, With as little, you know, physical fallout as possible. Yes. Um, I love... Or, I guess, as much if you're one yeah. of those kinds of gamers. <laughs> Yeah, I love games where your choices matter. Yeah. I love games with multiple endings. So, um, 
even though like I have some worries about how that specific story arc is going to be handled, yeah. um, I am excited for the possibility of like this playing this game where where all my choices will culminate in a very unique ending. I'm I'm into that. But there's two things that you know are kind of interesting to me about what you just kind of talked about, and one of them mm-hmm. is that idea of choices actually mattering in video games, which mm-hmm. I think is something that. You know, we've been we've been kind of talking about for a long time. Yeah, I can remember when Fable Two came out, and there was <laughs> you know this pur- purported deep decision making system that would really change the arc of the game depending on on which path you chose. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not really a new conversation, but I I don't think I can't think of a game yet that's really backed up. You know that that depth of decision making that that's purported, right? Um, even in the Telltale games that are all about decision making oh yeah i i think like uh hot take over here (laughs) i think telltale is actually like of all the companies trying this telltale is the one who gets it wrong very often um i i feel like when i play telltale games like the illusion of choice smacks me in the face more often than it doesn't um i think illusion of choice is a really good phrase for what is actually happening in video games yes more often than you know actual choice that has deep involvement yes there's a lot of illusion of choice games out there um one game i i think does a good job of your choices actually mattering is until dawn um like that that game like it just kind of straight up tells you it's like hey man you made a mistake right you know um like it sort of flashes back to you making the wrong decision and you like you really feel uh, like what you did was important either for either in a good way or a bad way. Uh, and I think they did a good job with that. So in addition to the, to this, you know, ongoing question of choice in video games, uh, I think the other thing you said that, that I think is pretty interesting coming out of Paris games week, as it relates to both Detroit and then uh, last of us two is they both were a lot more mature than I think people were anticipating yeah. and i wonder if at all and this might be a stretch i wonder if this is at all a reaction to how kind of unexpectedly dominant the switch has become in such a short amount of time huh. and the nintendo aesthetic is so friendly and colorful and bright and it brings you in in a very engaging kind of you see the world you see how open and beautiful and colorful it is yeah. and you want to jump right in and i wonder if at all you know kind of xbox and playstation have always kind of wanted to live in this more adult more mature you know, playing ground. Hmm. And I wonder if it all, you know, probably not because these studios are making independent decisions about their games and what's best for their games independently. But I just wonder if there's like a bit of a zeitgeist amongst the PlayStation developers. That's like, okay, you know, that is Nintendo's playing ground. The switch is doing very well. Right. And we maybe now have the freedom to say there are more mature gamers out there who want more mature stories. Not that mature gamers can't also enjoy Oh, yeah. Zelda, but yeah, yeah. there are these, there's a desire for these stories in juxtaposition. Yeah, no, I I get what you're saying. Like, uh, Sony is trying to play to their strengths. They're like, okay, obviously we can't do what Nintendo does with their incredibly adorable, colorful. I mean, we could try to chase that part of the market, right. but what makes more sense is for us to enforce the part of the market that we already kind of dominate, which is these these dark, mature, like intense stories. Um, yeah, I I get that. I th- and I think like I think that's something Sony's been doing for a long time. Obviously, they've got the God of War IP. Um, Uncharted tells very mature stories. Last of Us was a very intense story. Um, 
but yeah, to sort of to sort of really like double down on that, um, I could I could see part of that decision being related to the switch. Yeah, and I'm sure it's also has a lot to do with you know the kind of the the appetite around you know television and movie mm. um, th- th- those areas as well. Actually, yeah, you're. I, I think you're right there. Like uh, like Game of Thrones is hot right now. Is it still hot? Actually, it's still hot. I mean, it's coming up on its final season. Okay. Uh, thank you HBO for your sponsorship. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's still it's still very popular. Quite hip. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that makes sense. Um, that people are like, oh yeah, people want darker media. They want. They want to see uh, horrible things happen all the time. Let's make video games. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? Like that <laughs> becomes a much more nuanced and interesting conversation when you're not yeah. watching the horrible thing happen. You're participating in the horrible thing happening, and you know that's kind of <laughs> not to bring up you know Joe Lieberman of the '90s, but Ugh. like that's an argument that's kind of always been present in video games. It's like, what is the responsibility of the player versus what's the responsibility of a viewer? Yeah. Not a conversation I think is necessarily interesting anymore, mm. but I, you know, to juxtapose the kind of visual medium versus the interactive medium a little bit. Yeah. So also from Paris games week, I think my personal highlight was um, ghost of Tsushima, which oh, is the yeah. new open world samurai, maybe ninja game from sucker punch studios who uh, made, uh, infamous one and two yeah the, did did they say it was going to be open world i didn't know that well okay maybe i'm extrapolating it okay. looks like it'll be open world okay yeah maybe it won't be um yeah uh that like that seems very different than what sucker punch has been doing before obviously right. um i was not expecting this setting i wasn't expecting no. like the samurai game like I've been waiting to hear what Sucker Punch has been up to for a while, uh, and I I gotta say when Sony was like, "Yeah, we're making a Spider-Man game," I'm like, "Oh, that's Sucker Punch! <laughs> that's Sucker Punch right there! Here they come! Here they come!" With and their... then and then they sucker punched you. <laughs> yeah, then it, then it was Insomniac making the Spider-Man game, and Sucker Punch shows up with this at Paris Games Week. Um, that was definitely a surprise, and uh, I don't know. How much I'm feeling it? I I guess I could say I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. But you you dug it. You were into that. I did. You know I I agree with you. I mean, cautiously optimistic is a great way to put it. Um, mm. It's been a long time since we've had um, a big AAA game that I can think of in this kind of atmosphere in this kind of genre. Yeah. Um, like it's been a while since Shinobi was around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and there might not be many similarities. I think we don't exactly know exactly what the protagonist of this game. What right. his gameplay style will be, yeah. Uh, what the combat style will be, we don't even know if it's open world or not. I've just kind of made that assumption when I entered the game. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> if it is an open world kind of samurai or ninja esque game, I don't know that we've had anything like that. Certainly not with the hardware that we have in this generation. Yeah, unless I guess Neo counts. I don't think Neo counts. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, what's what sphere is Neo in? Yeah, uh, maybe we're showing a little bit of our ignorance of this generation but hey 2017 has been a really good year for video games yes we um, haven't played them all yeah actually that's the point of this whole podcast yeah i haven't played every video game. <laughs> uh but you know certainly some video games coming out of p uh paris games week that we are excited to play and those are two of the highlights yeah um i do want to give a shout out to one more game uh before we maybe move on um concrete genie concrete genie um uh, made by uh, a relatively new uh, game studio, um, 
they uh they've only made like a rhythm game for Sony before this. And it was uh it was a game where the trailer was like uh was this kid and he was like drawing on the walls and then like the drawings like started like you know, coming to life yeah. and they're like these cute little like, you know, these cute little like chalk monsters like helping him like solve puzzles and like this sort of like dark urban like bleak looking area um and uh and like he's using the the drawings to like solve puzzles and uh and navigate the world um and it seems it seems really cute and it seems really interesting uh and it seems very like fresh it feels like a new story uh that i want to check out um yeah that was one of those trailers that like i watched and immediately my question was what is gameplay yeah and what is pre-rendered right right because i think that that will be the determining factor for me of like how deep that game actually is yes what exactly you can pull off in that world yeah like i could i could see that game not being as fun as it looks um but the potential's there exactly and i'm always down for the potential um (laughs) you heard it here first (laughs) daniel's down for the potential this this is kind of a this is a weirdly stacked week for like game news especially industry news um, so what do you want to talk about next? Well, I think there's two things we can talk about kind of t- together. Yeah. Uh, starting with the Wall Street Journal report um, that in their fiscal year earnings, Nintendo discussed that they were looking to make 25 to 30 million Switch units in their next fiscal year, which starts in April uh, 2018. Yeah, 25 to 30 million Switch units uh, from April 2018 to end of March 2019, that's a lot. Um, that's a lot of units. That's a lot. Uh, <laughs> that is that is about double what they're projecting for this fiscal year. And that segues us into our next topic, uh, which is very exciting for us personally, <laughs> though maybe the wave's not quite so large. Right. Uh, Capcom has announced that they will be bringing Phoenix Wright to the Switch. Yes. Uh, they haven't exactly said in what form. If it's a new game, it might be a port. We don't know. But Right. Uh, it's still very exciting. Yeah. So, um, one, one thing I think has been really, really funny is so Nintendo, like at their earnings report, we're like, yeah, we're, we're making more switches every, like almost every other earnings report for these major companies, especially like third parties. Uh, what they've had to say is here's what we're doing involving the Switch, because the shareholders are all asking, like, Man, this, are you making Switch games? You need to be making Switch games if you want your stocks to go up. So every company had to be like, yeah, 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 we're working on Switch games. Here here are our Switch games. So Capcom specifically said, yes, we're going to be releasing some new Switch games uh, next fiscal year, which starts April 2018. Um that includes a new Ace Attorney game. And we also don't know, to be clear, whether or not that game will even come to the States. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a very good point. I think it will. I well, think, Capcom yeah. doesn't always have a great relationship with their fans oh, across God. the yeah. Atlantic, but um, Pacific? I guess the Pacific's closer. Yeah, I I think, like, yeah, so, sometimes they're very bad about bringing games over here, especially Phoenix Wright games. We We have not gotten a couple of their more recent ones for the 3DS. I think I think they're going to bring this one over though, whatever it is. Uh because if anything it's going to be a test. It's going to be like, okay, is the is the US Switch market going to buy Ace Attorney games? Right. Let's find out. Um 
And I think the answer is going to be yes, because Switch Switch owners are buying, like, everything right now. I have so many Switch games already. <laughs> um, I feel like we're not getting, like, Ace Attorney 7, right? I think we're not getting, like, a big new Ace Attorney game. If they're already releasing it next fiscal year, I can't imagine they've been working on it too long. So my guess would be a port. Yeah. Um, uh, I could also see them doing, like, an HD port of the spinoffs that we didn't get. Uh, they're called Great Ace Attorney uh, 1 and 2. Uh, and they're about, like, Phoenix Wright's, like, ancestor in, like, the, the early 1900s. Um, I could see them making that and then finally giving us those games in the States. Yeah, that'd be interesting. That'd be kind of a bold move for your first game on a new console. Yeah. To do a kind of a spinoff series that we didn't get and to bring it there now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, like you, I think a port, maybe an HD remake of the first three games or the first couple of games would be the most likely scenario. Yes. Draw up some interest a, a, amongst Switch uh, gamers who either haven't played Ace Attorney before or have, but haven't played it in a long time. Yes. And then, you know, maybe from there we can get some new content in the States. Yeah, that'd be nice. Like, I don't I don't know if I'm ready to, <laughs> to replay the first game, like, for the third or fourth time, um, but I, I could see it being a good move for for them. Like, would, would you, if Ace Attorney 1 came out like with HD 3D graphics for the Switch. Would you like would you get that? Would you play through it again? Yeah, I think I would. I mean, it's been I don't know, 10 years since I played the first Ace Attorney game. Yeah, yeah. Uh and I mean, we could talk about this all the time and how revolutionary the Switch is in terms of like what it's done for my gaming life and for a lot of people's gaming lives. Yeah, yeah. To have a console that is also fully portable, though, you know, battery life is a whole other conversation. <laughs> the yeah. the ability to play the Ace Attorney games in that way you know, if I want to lay down on the couch and kind of relax and do the more visual novel components yeah. that way. And then if I'm on the go, interact with it in a more deeper level that way. Yeah. Long answer. The short answer <laughs> yes, I would, I would probably purchase that. Okay. Also, I think this is a really great uh, clarifying introduction for us. Uh, this is the kind of podcast where amongst all the incredible gaming news of 2017, we will spend five minutes talking about one sentence about Ace Attorney. <laughs> I love if you were the hoping Ace for Call games. of Duty, sorry. <laughs> Wolfenstein, sorry. <laughs> one sentence about Ace Attorney, and we are off to the races. Uh, man, yeah. I love that franchise. It's yeah. so good. It's great. Um, yeah. It's uh, a really great blend of the things we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. I mean, not graphics, but that's fine. Yeah. The mechanics and the story combined in such a, a unique and uh, satisfying way. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a great time. Yes. So more to come from that, hopefully, and we can talk about that at a later date. Yeah. Uh, switching gears a little bit. You know, we talked about the Switch a little bit. We talked about the PlayStation 4 a little bit. Right. Big news in the Xbox world. The uh, Xbox One X released this week. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I, from what I can gather, from what I've looked up, uh, it's, it's good for Microsoft. Microsoft seems to be doing good. Um, like, the only really report as of this recording uh, is that GameStop has said, yeah, we have sold out of almost all our stock of oh. the Xbox One X. Uh, it's selling like hotcakes. We're asking them for more. Uh, we're really happy about it. It's doing good. And that's that's pretty much it. Microsoft hasn't said <laughs> anything yet. It's just been GameStop being like, yeah, it's so good, buy it. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's good for them. I guess, I guess like this strategy of uh, like a mid-generation like upgrade is working out for both Sony and Microsoft. Both of those things are selling. Yeah, well. but here's my question. 
And yeah. I mean, this might be inflammatory to Xbox <laughs> owners out there, and I'm sorry. But so we've now had the Xbox One. Yeah. We've had the Xbox One S. Mm-hmm. We've had the Xbox One X. <laughs> All yeah. or most of uh, Microsoft's exclusives are also available on um, Microsoft 10. Yeah. At what point do we start talking about Microsoft as a hardware seller and not a game seller? Like, it, are, are we at the point now where all Microsoft is interested in doing with the Xbox system is selling us new Xboxes? Um, man, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I, I think, like, I think what I've read before is that, like, you know, they generally lose money on, like, the Xbox making part of it. Um, right, right, So it's, right. it's really interesting. It's really interesting. Uh, their initiative to make PC versions of every game, and I'm not sure I fully understand that. Um, but I think mainly what they're doing is we we talked earlier about uh, Sony sort of like looking at their strengths and really like really like showing those off. Uh, Xbox has been looking at things they can do that Sony isn't or doesn't want to do, and really showing those off, like. So, uh, first of all, they're like, you know what? We will spend more money on making the most, like, the most powerful console on the market. Like, we're going to deck out the Xbox One X. It's going to look so much like, it's going to do so much more than the PS4 Pro can at this, like, exact moment. Um, like, I think they will spend that much money to say, we're, we're the best right now. We're the best. Our games are going to look the best on this console. Um, sure, but meanwhile, <laughs> you have the lowest attachment rate. Yeah, of no, any of the consoles. Th- th- you see, they're they're like they're in competitive mode right now. They're like, we need to prove to our to our customers that like we're worth buying. So we're gonna lose some money proving that to them. Um, well, money is a really great conversation though when we talk about the Xbox because yeah. the Xbox X is five hundred dollars. Yes, it plays true four K. That's its major selling point. Correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A 4K TV yeah. is probably going to be twice that. Yeah. So all in, you're looking at maybe fifteen hundred dollars mm-hmm. for your system and your monitor, your TV to, to yeah. watch yourself play the games, which is a useful component. Right. Sell me on that. I think. I think Microsoft's strategy is not to sell people the Xbox One X and the TV. Well, right. I I think. I think they're just kind of playing a long game and being like, if you have a 4K TV, you need an Xbox One X. That's the market they're going after right now. Because, like, PS4, PS4 sort of, like, they've got a lot of the general market right now. It's like, if, you know, if you want to play good video games, uh, you're probably getting a PS4. Uh, so Xbox One X, I think, is going like after these these tech heads, these people that want like the top visuals, the people that have already bought things to help them get the top visuals. Uh, they're going, hey, we'll help you do that. Like, we will. Like, you already have all this great stuff, uh, this 4K whatever. Let's uh, let's give you something that really takes advantage of that, even more than the PS4 Pro does. That all makes sense, and I can totally understand that from like Microsoft's perspective. Yeah, I can understand that from those gamers' perspectives. Like, if you're a person yeah. who has a 4K TV already, you have a media setup already. You've got like your surround sound speakers. Yeah, you've got your you know sweet gaming couch that <laughs> fold out. 
you know, massage chair and yeah. popcorn holder. Like, I get it. Yeah. I can understand that. But from a, a, a game developer's perspective, where's the incentive for me to bring those exclusives to Microsoft? Microsoft is giving you a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah, like, if, if you notice uh, this year, uh, this generation, like, there have been a lot of, like, there have been a lot of exclusives being bought on both yeah. sides. Yeah. And, like, PlayStation has been making decisions that appeal more to me. You know, <laughs> they, they're like, hey, Capcom, we will help you make Street Fighter V uh, if, uh, if, you know, if you make it exclusive to our system. And, you know, they're like, yeah. And meanwhile, Xbox is like, hey, Crystal Dynamics, want to wanna give us Rise of the Tomb Raider for a year? Which I do think for their specific audience might be a good decision. I'm just not a... Uh, I just didn't really get into that Tomb Raider franchise. Um, but yeah, to answer the question, I, I think it's basically like they're, they're making offers to the right people and they, uh, they say, yeah, because they, they like getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting question to see how it develops. Um, you know, I don't think any of us, no one really could have predicted exactly how amazingly the switch would have taken off in its first year of life. Yes. And who knows? I mean, maybe having this, highest end model will reinvigorate the microsoft base um into the 2018 year so it'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on and see what happens as we move forward yeah yes like i'd i have all three platforms right um and by all three i mean original xbox one original ps4 i haven't upgraded uh but i might get a pro um and i got the switch out of those uh the xbox one I guess the least play time. Yeah. Um, but I do think that Microsoft is doing some really interesting things and I see them really trying hard to like compete with Sony and, and do things that they don't. I, I see them chasing like indies, like they made Cuphead, like yeah. an Xbox and PC, I think. I think so. Uh, exclusive. Um, and I think that was very smart of them. I think that, uh, I think that game's like kind of blown up. Well, I think it earned them a lot of goodwill too, because yes. that wasn't necessarily a financial decision. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know there were accountants in the back room who made sure it was at least somewhat logical financially. Right. But they took a small development team and they gave them the resources they needed to make this game that had the most stunning vision and the hardest to execute vision in modern games. Yeah. I mean, there's never been a game that looks like Cuphead that I can think of. You know, that maybe wasn't necessarily a financial. Uh, decision and I think you know maybe it's unfair of me to say this but I think I have a kind of cynical view of Microsoft's history in console gaming yeah and if they're going to start making these repeated goodwill decisions and in, in terms of who they help in the development process again you know not to be naive I'm not saying that they weren't hoping mm. that the game would take off in the way it did right and it did yeah uh, but it's just an interesting place to be in if that's where we're moving yeah um yeah, but before we move on, I I think I I really agree with the word goodwill when it comes to yeah. Microsoft, like because I think that is their angle to try to beat Sony right now, like uh their backwards compatibility, mm -hmm. um yeah. like drive, like you know that that is very specifically. Hey, we know Sony doesn't care about <laughs> this, but uh you can play hundreds of Xbox 360 games and Xbox original games on your Xbox One X. Like, that is a big uh, selling point uh, from uh, 
from Phil, who just came down from uh, from Xbox headquarters to say oh, that. Hi, Phil. that was yeah, that wasn't me. Um, Phil, we, we <laughs> have some more bon me in the back if if you're if you're hungry. <laughs> Thank you for the bon me. I think this will be a great experience for. <laughs> And that was the uh, fan favorite segment, <laughs> talking games with Phil. Uh, yeah, I I think we've talked about the Xbox enough. I, uh, <laughs> I I I don't have a lot more to say about it. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> uh, so also this week, uh, the SAG AFTRA voice actor strike ended. Yeah, how long did that go on for? A year. Yeah, wow. one year. That's crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, obviously last year, uh, Sega after I decided to do a strike because uh, they weren't being treated good, and it made a lot of sense. Like, uh, they asked for royalties. Um, they asked for uh, like better voice acting conditions. They asked to be allowed to like take breaks, like, uh, or be allowed to end sessions early if there's like a lot of screaming, you know, uh, because like they're in current conditions, they're, like, ruining their voices, which is their job. Right. Um, and also to, uh, to have more transparency in, uh, in, like, what roles they took. A lot of game companies were like, hey, um, this is Project Beef Nozzle. Uh, we're not giving you the real name, and we're not telling... You mean telling... Super Meat Boy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we're not... a little transparent. We're not telling you which character you get to voice in Project Beef Nozzle. Super or... Meat Boy. If there's any like scenes that you'll have to voice that you would like not want to do, if there's like a like a gross like sexual scene in our game, we're not going to warn you ahead of time. You just accept the role, sign the contract, and then voice it. That was those were their uh, initial conditions. So they did a strike and like, hey, yeah, tell us what we're doing. Uh, let us take breaks and give us royalties on these games that we're like we're helping you sell, um, or we're we're not voicing your games anymore. Uh, and game companies for a year were like, oh, well, okay. Uh, and hired worse voice actors to do things. Um, Life is Strange uh, got affected by this. They they released a new game in the franchise. I'd say the quality of that game suffered a bit because the voice actors sure. were present. And uh, and some other some other games were affected in games that I, I like noticed really hard. Like So in Injustice 2, before every fight... Uh, there's a unique dialogue uh, depending on which two characters are fighting, right? Like, like if Superman and Batman are fighting, they will say very specific things to each other. The DLC characters, uh, if they talk to a character that's already been released, uh, the old character will just say a voice line that's already been recorded, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, if let's say a conversation was like Superman's like, I can't let you do this, Bruce, and Bruce is like, I will stop you. Uh, Let's let's say uh, Starfire comes out as DLC, and Starfire's like, "Hi, Batman, uh, let's fight." And Batman will go, "I will stop you." You know, like uh, they had to recycle voice lines because they couldn't get those voice actors anymore. They Wait, were on did, strike. Are, did you miss that whole Ark and Teen Titans? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> uh, so there are these big games that are getting affected by the voice actors strike. It looks like they're making no effort to like change anything. Um, finally, last month they're like, "Okay, hey, we have a revised version of this contract. We think we're gonna get to sign it." Uh, and basically, the revised version was, "Never mind. We don't want royalties anymore. Just give us, 
just give us a bonus depending on how much voice acting we do. Better voice acting conditions. And tell us what we're what we're doing. Like tell like tell us at least if we're like reprising a, an old role or whatever. Uh so they signed it. They signed it earlier this week, and the strike is over, and voice actors get those conditions. So, you know, uh not not the victory that they wanted at the beginning, but I think they also put they also asked for more than they thought they were going to get initially. So I think this is still a win for everyone. I'm going to be honest because we've been friends for 16 years <laughs> as previously discussed. And I think honesty is like a really important cornerstone of a deep, long lasting friendship. And I didn't listen to a single word you just said in that whole segment because I was <laughs> the whole time thinking of jokes for project beef nozzle. <laughs> I, I think the best one I came up with, uh, is Project Beef Nozzle was Jonathan Blow's nickname in undergrad. All right, that's that's like a B plus joke. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't have said Project Beef Nozzle. I knew, <laughs> I knew when I knew as soon as I said it, it's like this. This is either going to be a dumb joke or we're going to like it's going to be something we're stuck on. Um, but really, in retrospect, it was worth it. TLDR, I I think I think the strike ended on like on decent terms for for everyone. I I think the voice actors are in a much better position now. I think they're being treated with more respect. And um, absolutely, um, yeah. I I think we got a couple more things to talk about. You want to talk about Port Key Games? Oh yeah, Port Key Games. So uh, WB Games recently uh, recently announced that they're like. They have a new like subsidiary, a new like gaming uh, envelope's not the right word, a new a new initiative. Uh, they're calling it Porky How'd Games. How do you get from envelope to initiative? You know, uh, you got to take the initiative to to stamp that envelope. So, <laughs> so Porky Games is a uh, is a new branch from WB Games that focuses on Harry Potter games. Uh, they've announced that it's going to focus on both mobile and console games, and then like. A couple hours after the announcement, they announced a new Harry Potter mobile game called Wizards Unite, being made by Niantic, uh, who made Pokemon Go. Yeah. And Wizards Unite is basically, as far as we can tell, Pokemon Go, but your wizards. Obviously, that might not be the most exciting announcement when it comes to we're making Harry Potter video games again. Sure. Uh, but I, I think it's a very smart one. I think... I think people realized that they weren't going to do any better than Harry Potter Lego. <laughs> uh, I, I mean that seriously. Yeah, no, like, levels, like, yeah, I that I haven't played it myself. I I know. I think you like it, right? Yeah. yeah, it's good. I think I think that's neat that they're that they're doing that. WB Games they have a lot of IPs in their stable, right? But how many singing frogs do they have? At least one. That's an old WB network joke. <laughs> It's at least 10 years old at this point. I don't think the WB is now the CW. So, you know, really relevant comedy is what you come here for. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, oh, God. You, you, you killed my momentum with that frog joke. That's what the executives at WB said. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, they WB Games has a lot of stuff, right? Like, they... They have the rights to DC, and they're making these these DC comics games. They're making Injustice. They're making the Batman Arkham series. Uh, 
They, you know, they got the rights to to Lord of the Rings, and they're making Shadow Mordor and stuff. Uh, but they've always had the rights to pretty much everything Harry Potter, and they haven't capitalized on that in years. So I think it's really smart what they're doing that they're really going all out with uh, with the Harry Potter IP. Um, how do you feel about uh, the recent usage of the Harry Potter IP, Max Lando? Oh, should I say your last name? We can cut it out if I can't. <laughs> it's something that you've always been really bad about. Saying yeah, your last name really loudly in public. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't, I don't really have a strong opinion on the Harry Potter games in general. I played a little bit of Lego Harry Potter. Um, it's a good time. I, I think Harry Potter is is one of those pr- uh, properties that's really difficult to translate into interactive forms. Yeah, and then the world of magic that was created around the game is not super defined. And so to build a, a like an actual mechanical system around that, mm-hmm. I think is pretty difficult. Um, at least one that is um, robust and complex. Yeah. I think kind of you know one of the beautiful things about the Lego series uh, across the the properties is that the gameplay mechanics are pretty fundamental and and pretty right. elemental in some ways. Right. Uh, they're very engaging games and and they're fun to play, but you're not looking to make deep, complex systems. And I think that aesthetic works with the Harry Potter universe because I think it's very difficult to codify that magic system in like a tangible way. Yeah. And on the other side, I, you know, I'll be honest. I didn't really play a lot of Pokemon go. I downloaded mm-hmm. it. I interacted with it for a little bit, but I didn't get sucked into it. Yeah. So I think this is maybe not uh, an announcement that's got me as excited as I know it has a lot of people very oh, excited. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Same. Like, uh, my girlfriend Amy uh, still plays Pokemon Go every now and then, but I I dropped out like a month or two in. Um, you know, I appreciated what they did, but really, I don't know. I love Pokemon very much, and that that didn't have enough of the Pokemon experience for me. I got burned out. Well, burned out is also what happens to your phone if you play it too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. Um, yeah, I am excited to hear their first console announcement. Um, and uh, I don't know when it's going to be, but I I think I think that the Harry Potter IP has a lot of potential yeah. for a great video game. And I don't think that great video game exists yet, you know? Like, I don't think a great Harry Potter game has come out. So it's it's hard to, to really, I guess, put faith in, in that concept. Well, I, I mean... It... It'll be a Harry Potter game, but the game will be light, right? Like, it's going to be a Harry Potter experience right? more likely than it's going to be a Harry Potter game. Right. I wouldn't really say Pokemon Go is a Pokemon game, although oh, yeah. maybe you're getting bogged down in kind of nerdy semantics and <laughs> get over yourself. But I, I think to clarify my earlier point, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like, there's Harry Potter exists somewhat successfully in a couple of different video game series. Yeah. But if we're talking about depth, depth of experience, which was what I think... I would be most interested to see in a new iteration of Harry Potter. Mm. I don't think I'm going to get that from this. Now, of course, I could be wrong, but the history would look would show you that. Well, yeah, I don't say history would show you, but it seems unlikely that we're going to get a deep Harry Potter experience. Yeah, although I would love like a game where like you made your own wizard and then just ran around in Hogwarts. You know, like just did like a school year there. And like got involved in a maybe maybe Harry Potter's graduated, and you're just like you get involved in a conflict that has 
that has nothing to do with the books but takes place in that universe. Kind of like what they did with Shadow of Mordor for the Lord of the Rings yeah, series. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's actually a really interesting corollary. I mean, what made one of the things that made Shadow of Mordor so successful, I think, was removing it from kind of the expectation of sticking to the mainline story in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And it still obviously plays within the universe and still um, adheres pretty strict. It adheres to the lore that Tolkien set up, but you know, you don't have to worry about, well, what was Gandalf doing at this time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's basically, that's basically it for Porky games. Like I think uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what they announce. Um, and I think what they've already announced is smart, but not exciting to me. I think the last news item on our list, and we did say we would do some shitting on EA later. <laughs> uh, EA shuts down Visceral Games and acquires Respawn Entertainment. Yeah, so Visceral Games happened like sometime last month, right? Visceral Games was working on a narrative Star Wars experience with Amy Hennig. Uh, Amy Hennig was directing. She was uh, she was initially uh, responsible for uh, several games in the Uncharted series. Right. Um, so, you know, she was a big kind deal. Kind of famously. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, big deal, uh, working on a, a story-intensive Star Wars game, exciting to a lot of people. EA comes out, like, last month, and like, hi, we, the, the world of video games is changing, uh, and we're changing with it. So, here's the change, we're shutting down Visceral Games, and, uh, moving... Amy Hennig's project over to our to a different studio. I think EA Vancouver is working on it now, and uh, and we're moving Visceral Games like people onto different projects when we can. Um, yeah, uh, games. They they said something specifically about changing the game so that it makes more sense in the current environment of of video gaming, which has a lot of people worried. Oh no, they're gonna make it multiplayer. They're gonna <laughs> add microtransactions and loot boxes, and it's going to be nothing like what I like about Uncharted and stuff. Uh, more, uh, more optimistic people are like, well, maybe, maybe they're going to make it more open world. Maybe it's going to be more of a Horizon Zero Dawn situation. Um, which, which I, I would, I, I hope that's what's happening. I think, I think it's hard to be optimistic. When when you hear that they just shut down a, a whole company that was working on this game for years already, it's it's hard to to have faith in and yeah. yeah in EA and and what they're going to do going forward with that and uh, and then this month like just like you know just long enough for us to kind of forget that Visceral got shut down. EA goes, hey, uh, Respawn Entertainment, they made Titanfall. Uh, they released Titanfall 2 and it kind of undersold, maybe because we gave it a bad release date and no marketing. I don't know. But anyway, uh, we're acquiring them now. Uh, Respawn belongs to us and uh, and we're going to have to make a new Titanfall game and a new Star Wars game because making Star Wars games is going really well for us right now. I, I, I'm just... I'm trying. I'm trying to be like objective uh, about this. It's coming across really well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the the gist of it is they they bought Respawn Entertainment. One of the first things Respawn's going to be doing is working on a brand new Star Wars game. Um, we don't know anything about it. We don't really even know anything about the previous Star Wars game they were working on. 
But yeah, that's that is the news. That's the announcement. Um, Respawn belongs to EA now. What are your thoughts about this this whole this whole environment they've created? Uh, what do you think about like the future of Star Wars games oh, with geez. EA? <laughs> well, the future of Star Wars media as a whole is really problematic right now. I mean, <laughs> uh, Disney just announced that they're going to do a a, a new, new trilogy. trilogy with Ryan Johnson directing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, we still haven't even gotten the second movie. Mm-hmm. in the current trilogy we still haven't gotten the han solo movie yeah uh it's haven't gotten those porgs yet <laughs> oh god <laughs> I, I think i've probably played more star wars games than you have yes it's my working assumption there's actually a few star wars games on my list for you but oh nice it's been a long time since we've had a really good star wars game what would you say is the last really good star wars game <sighs> on the spot I would say maybe Star Wars uh, Jedi Starfighter. Okay. It was a really, really solid gaming experience. Um, I know it got, I think, released on the PSN. Okay. Uh, recently, or maybe last year or something. I'm a huge fan of like KOTOR, mm-hmm. three-fourths of KOTOR 2. <laughs> uh, the point being, like, I don't think Battlefront was what Battlefront fans thought it would be. Yeah, I think and that's fair. They kind of double down on that with Battlefront Two, and apparently have a maybe they fixed it by now. I haven't paid attention, but what I was hearing when Battlefront Two came out was a really problematic uh, loot system. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of EA's thing now. Yeah, is really problematic microtransactions <laughs> and loot systems, and you know this was the year up until I think Nintendo told everyone otherwise that people were saying the single player game is dead. And multiplayer games are the wave of the future. And I mean, that's not necessarily a new thought. Like, right. I think maybe, you know, the last couple of years, people have been forced to build in multiplayer in games that don't necessarily need it. Yeah. But it's hard not to look at the ecosystem that EA has created and come away dissatisfied. Yeah. And I, I think, unfortunately, it's kind of a sad truth that if games as a service are not right. the future... They're a future. They're a some, future, for yeah, sure. Like, some some reports have come in recently, like, some of these earning reports have reported, like, hey, um, I think I think Ubisoft basically said half of our profits this year are from microtransactions. The problem for me, though, is it becomes a very chicken and egg conversation. Yeah. Like, it's impossible for us as the consumer to suss out where in the development process are they making these decisions. Yeah. And what are they forsaking? Yeah developing in the single player sphere mm-hmm. to insert these you know games as services decisions right like they say that that's where their sales are coming from and it's true obviously yeah but it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that that's what happens mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be that way if you build a robust game otherwise i think where it's a deeper and potentially more troubling conversation when you start talking about indie games or triple i games Games that come out at a $20 price point mm-hmm. and take, you know, well, I guess this wouldn't be true for AAA, but for indie games that come out at a $20 price point, they're being made by teams of like 2 to 17. Yeah. And if you don't sell a lot of those games at launch, you're in deep trouble going forward. Right. And that's what worries me about where video games is heading. Yeah. And more so than like what the larger studios might do to us as the gamers, because I can choose not to play Hearthstone. Right, I can mm-hmm. choose not to play Battlefront Two. Yeah, I've already made both of those. <laughs> right, yeah, I'm, I'm continuously making those decisions. I did play Hearthstone at first, but like now it, it's like two hundred fifty dollars a pack, basically. Ugh, if you want God. to, 
you know, stay current with the meta. Yeah, um, that, that sounds like a bullet I've dodged. So that's good. <laughs> well, CCGs are their own thing. Yeah. But, I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm part of the problem in some ways because I still play Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links, but, uh, <laughs> um, but it's just so good. Anyway, the important thing you were saying. I just think it's, this isn't necessarily where your question was going originally, but the idea that like the larger developers will do what they're going to do and my purchase or lack of purchase doesn't necessarily have any consequence for them. Right. What's more interesting in this era is what indie, indie developers are doing because that's often what actually pushes the genre forward. Yeah. And if we're getting into a marketplace where it is harder for those small teams to stay independent, to make good games and not get sucked up by a larger um, publisher that can then cut them right. at a whim, like we were saying earlier, like with Runic Games. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a concern for me. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that's necessarily where we're going, but like you can see that place from here. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's a valid concern. I like, especially like, this isn't, you know, this isn't the first time that EA has, like, you know, bought a company. You've seen their output just, like, suck more and more, and then suddenly the company gets shut down. And actually, like, people are really, like, squinting their eyes at the timing of Visceral Games getting shut down, and then suddenly Respawn Entertainment gets bought. Like, some people think that timing is very deliberate. Uh, some people are looking at the timeline and seeing that, like, sort of talks about acquiring Respawn Entertainment kind of seemed to happen right before Visceral Games got shut down, you know? It's like they decided to lose Visceral Games so they could get Respawn, which sucks for Visceral <laughs> Games. And maybe it doesn't completely not suck for Respawn either, because now maybe one day they'll be an acceptable loss. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the startup question. I mean, we live in a startup culture now in the business world, and yeah, there's tremendous value to be under the EA umbrella. Yeah. I mean, in terms mm -hmm. of resources and marketing power. Yeah, yeah. But what you give up and when you give up that independence, that freedom of decision making. Yeah. Yeah, it's an unenviable position to put uh, a studio in. I, yeah. I would think. If I were in their shoes and EA came a knocking, <laughs> I, it, it's, yeah, I, I can totally see it from that perspective. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this was a really busy news week yes. in the video game world. Yeah. I don't know that every uh, every cast will have quite a robust discussion, as a robust discussion about the news, but I think uh, a lot of stuff happened. Yeah, um, I think I think next episode will be a little quieter, um, for sure. But yeah, I think this is a higher than average volume yeah. like discussion week, outside of stuff like E3. Well, I think before we get into the recommendation, the first recommendation in the show oh, purportedly yeah. the whole purpose of the show <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah we're just gonna talk for like an hour about video game news uh <laughs> welcome to our game recommendation podcast um but i think before we get into that conversation i do want to talk a little bit about what we're playing now yes because you know this is the first episode we don't really have anything to talk about in terms of what the recommendation of the game we have played right right but i think the obvious answer, we talked about a little bit earlier, we kind of cliffhangered a little bit earlier, is we're obviously playing Super Mario Odyssey. Yes, yes, uh, man. <laughs> um, so, uh, I love this game. Yeah. 
like, yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, I historically am not really into 3D Mario games, actually. Sure. Like, uh, Mario 64, like, you know, like, I, I acknowledge that it's a revolutionary game. Uh, that is very high quality. I never beat it. Like, I don't think I got... Uh, very far past Bob-omb Battlefield, which is the first level. Um, like, uh, like Super yeah, Mario Galaxy. A lot Gal- of people just stopped listening. <laughs> I said a lot of people just stopped listening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> come back, I'm sorry. Uh, like Super Mario Galaxy, very good game. I did not get very far in it. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey is actually the first 3D Mario game that I've beaten, that I've, like, beaten the final boss. Did you play Sunshine? I, um, a little bit. Uh, and I, I like The Flood. I, you know, it was it was fun to control actually, but I never owned that game, so I I never got very far in it. Um, but Odyssey is like Odyssey is like really different, you know. Like uh, I love how creative it is. I love uh, I I love the the different take on the Mario gameplay. Like they've made it kind of like there's all these environments, but each of these environments is like their own like small like open world. You know, and uh, and like it really just awards like exploration, and uh, it encourages the player to be creative, um, which is really cool, and it's just super polished. Like it yeah. kind of learns lessons from like every Mario game that has come out previously. Like, like the the whole you get you get power moons if you do like really unique tasks. Like that happened in Super Mario sixty four. But in Super Mario 64, when you do a task and get a star, it kicks you out of the painting, and you have to go back into the level and like, like start from scratch again. In Super, well, in a lot of ways, it's kind of almost more inspired by Banjo Kazooie. Yeah, yeah. Like I've I've seen that too. Like Super Mario Odyssey is secretly a Banjo Kazooie <laughs> game. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey, though, um, it's yeah. Like I I also play Banjo Kazooie, um, and. And again, like, neat. I like some of the stuff I got going on, but Odyssey is the one that has hooked me for, for definitely the longest out of all these games. Because, um, uh, yeah, there's there's so much to do. There's I love games where you can sort of see, like, the heart and imagination and, like, charm put into it. And, like, Mario just, like, throws that at you from every quarter. Like, it has all these funny little moments and all these uh, great surprises. Yeah. I think this is not a very deep way to talk about the game, but I think the the easiest way to talk about the game and, and exemplify exactly how great it is is I just haven't had this much fun yes. playing a video game yeah. since I was maybe like in high school. <laughs> it's just the ability to drop in, get rewarded for exploration, for mm. playing the game the way you want to play the game yeah. is so in, insanely gratifying. Yes. And I think in this day and age, games are designed to hook you and to keep you moving along progress points for as long as they can. Yeah. And that is harder in when you're an adult and you've got other things you've got to do with your life. And, <laughs> you know, it's harder to drop in and out for a two-hour gaming session, right? Like, yeah. if I'm going to play video games, I've got to, like, clear out my schedule a little bit and, like, mm. really sink in for five hours. Yeah. This is the first game in a long time that, like, I've got an hour. I'm going to go play Mario. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I was going to the gym before I came over to your apartment today and it was like, oh, I finished breakfast. I'm not, I, I can sit around and play and collect 10 moons. Yeah. And that was all I needed. I didn't need to advance the story. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. need to 
have something tangible to show. Yeah. I just needed to explore. And in that exploration, find some reward. Yes. And, and that is such a kind of unique thing these days. Yeah, it really is. Um, another thing is I, I love, I guess, it's it's one that shows that Nintendo doesn't always, but will often, like, ignore current gaming conventions. Um, and it does this in, like, a really good way. You know, like, there's no DLC for Odyssey. Uh, you can unlock a bunch of costumes and in 2017, if you want to unlock costumes in a game, you're paying real money for it. Right. Um, but but this uh, but this you unlock everything in game. Uh, you don't have to spend a cent more than the sixty dollars you paid on this game. Um, and it's huge. There's so much in this game. Yeah. Like, like I'm in the post game now, and like I have a third as many of the moons that you can get. You know, like. There's still so much I can do in this game. Like I'm still playing it so much, even though I've seen the end credits, and uh, that's that's really satisfying. Definitely one of the most satisfying games I've played this year. Some of the things that happen in Mario Odyssey are like my favorite things that have ever happened in yeah. a Mario game. Um, so yeah, good good stuff. Wait, can you say any of those things? Um, what <laughs> uh, one of those things actually happens like near the end, and I I don't want to spoil it for viewers or you since I don't think you've beaten it yet. Uh, let's see, a smaller, less spoiler example. I love the dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, there's there's some levels where a dog's just running around, and, like, he'll follow you, and if you just, like, hang out with the dog long enough, like, he'll he'll find, like, a patch of ground and, like, dig up a moon for you. Or, like, sometimes you can just, like, play with the dog like if you throw your hat he'll like run up and like catch the hat it has no like it has no like use in gameplay like it doesn't give you any kind of bonus on anything but you can just play you can just play catch yeah. you can just play fetch with your hat with the dog uh if if you're chilling if you like let your idle animation play and mario falls asleep and the dog's next to you the dog will curl up next to you and also fall asleep uh so, uh, Super Mario Odyssey, A plus dog. A plus dog. It's a game with a lot of great heart. Yes. Yeah, it is. Now, like, it, it just has all these little moments. Yeah. This all being said, if this is not the game that can make motion controls work, <laughs> can we finally have a moratorium on motion controls? <laughs> no more motion controls, please. I'd, I'd say every, I'd say every game needs, like, most games need motion controls to be fully optional. Yes. Right? Like, it's cool that they're in the game. It. I played this game for the first time when I was traveling, right? Like, it was a little annoying that, like, I had to have, like, the Joy-Cons in my hand and, like, swing them around to get, like, all of Mario's mechanical depth out, right? Like, like you can do most things in Mario without motion controls, but you are better at being Mario yes. if you are using the motion controls. And that's tough to do while you're on a plane... The... Oh, most frustratingly, or if you have a disability, there, there, there's a whole <laughs> group of of gamers who don't get to have the same experience with this, you know, fantastic game because of circumstances outside of their own control. Yeah, and I mean, aside from all of the other kind of, you know, subjective criticisms of motion controls that I agree with, I think it makes the game objectively a slightly worse experience every time you have to use this motion control system. Right. Outside of that completely, there are people for whom the game is just not quite the same. And I don't yeah. think that that's 
a great place to be in the industry. Yeah, I think that's incredibly fair. Um, one thing I appreciate is that, like, for example, ARMS for the Switch uh, is sort of built around motion controls, but after the game came out, they added a patch in. They made it so you don't need to use motion controls at all to play the game. You can play the game with just, like, the controller and using uh, using the analog sticks for stuff instead. Maybe that control scheme is considered a little worse than the motion controls, but it's an option. I think all motion controls, all games with motion controls should have a non-motion control yes. option right? Uh, for the full features of the game. I think we can say confidently, though, that minor quibbles aside, Super Mario Odyssey is, you know, easily in consideration for a game of the year, probably my game of the year, um, and game of, like, five years. <laughs> I, yeah, like, 2017 is a vet, has been real good it has had some very good video games so i don't know if i want to say that mario odyssey is my game of the year yet but it's easy top yeah. three and that works as a great transition to finally <laughs> <laughs> talking about our first recommendation so i think before i get into the game itself um this is going to be a really interesting process as we go along throughout the the, the run of this podcast because mm-hmm. you know i, I think it'll be easier for you to come up with a substantive list of games for me to play than the alternative, especially as I was already kind of putting my list together. Um, I, a lot of my games are a little bit older. There's not a lot of kind of, uh, you know, this current generation games hmm. on there for you. Okay. But, um, it's cool to know that's an option. Like yes, we can, I think we so. can pick older games. Okay. Cool. I think we should. I mean, yeah. there's no reason not to, those games are still great. Yeah, that's, part. that's true. Um, that's good. That'll make it easier to make my list because my my list right now it's like it's pretty like tentative and short because I'm thinking of like you know the past year or so of games. If I get to dig deep and find some deep cuts, that'll be fun. Yeah, I'm down for that. and I think the point for me being like I've had to dig deep and kind of <laughs> go into those areas where maybe we don't have as much crossover because the other thing is that we've played a lot of the same games. I mean, we, yes, a lot of our friendship has been built up and developed over the course of like playing games together, talking yeah. about games we played together. So. Um, it'll be really interesting to kind of mine those experiences where we don't have that crossover. Yeah. And the first game for me is uh, a, a game that is on my list of game of the year, and that is Pyre uh, by Super Giant Games, the mm. makers of uh, Bastion and Transistor. Yes. And Pyre, you know, it, I obviously don't want to talk about it too much and, and give away too much of uh, my experience with it to inform you before you play, is a really interesting and kind of unique game which i think is kind of in super giant's wheelhouse and neither of us got super into bastion i don't think either of us played transistor um so yeah my experience with bastion is i played the demo yeah and i thought huh this game's this game's got some neat stuff going on i like the aesthetic i really like the the folksy narrator but i played the demo and i'm like mechanically this is actually one where i was like Huh, like, the mechanics aren't really hooking me. Yeah. Like, the story isn't interesting enough for me to deal with this for an extended period of time. Especially since this was, like, indies were kind of a new thing. Like, indie games made on this scale were kind of, like, a new thing. And I was noticing, like, some indies, like, people were, like, going nuts about, right? Like, I people were kind of going nuts about Bastion, and I... Before I played the Bastion demo, I played World of Goo for okay. the Nintendo Wii. <laughs> I played World yeah, of you Goo. Played a lot of World of Goo. Uh, I played the World of Goo for the Nintendo Wii because people were going just super 
not so crazy over World of Goo. They're like, this is one of the best games I've played. You, you in my... bought into the hype and it burned you. Yes, exactly. I was like, wow, <laughs> people like World of Goo this much. I mean, I, I wonder if we could like do an oral history on World of Goo. <laughs> How much of that was because it was called fucking World of Goo? Um, <laughs> uh, good, good name for a game that like that you know did what game. yeah it did what it wanted to do well but like the the hype for it just like yeah didn't, was so, didn't align it was so blown out of proportion so i heard the hype for bastion sure. i played half an hour of bastion through the demo and i'm like this is a world of goo situation i'm out before <laughs> i get to in and that was unfair to bastion <laughs> yeah probably that was unfair to bastion but you know i think in fairness to you though i, I would agree i think I also kind of played a little bit of Bastion mm -hmm. and didn't find the mechanics super engaging. Yeah. Um, I think it was something about the way the camera rotated. Mm -hmm. I kept falling off the, the earth yeah. a lot. Uh, I'm, yeah, isometric games, yeah. not really my jam because, like, it's it's hard. There's Sometimes there's a difference between the direction you want to go in and the direction the game lets you go in these isometric games. So, like, I did get a little frustrated with that. But I think stopped. a lot of the strengths, you know, to bring it back to Pyre, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the strengths that were evident even in Bastion uh, and then Transistor, you know, from the outside perspective of not having played it, but having, you know, followed it and seen it, yeah. are evident in Pyre and maybe even Magnified. The, the, the design is, is just incredible. Right. The music is fantastic. The storytelling is crazy good. And I think what really sold it for me, and, and maybe this is something that pushed other people away, but what really sold it for me actually was the gameplay. Because as you know, <laughs> uh, I probably put 30 hours into Blitzball alone. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I played a lot, a lot of Blitzball. Yes. And the, the, what Pyre reminds me of most, if, if, you know, if I had to be reductive <laughs> and compare it to video games, yeah. other video games, which is, I think a pretty reductive way to talk about video games. Right. But if I had to do that, I would say it reminds me of Blitzball meets Bander Saga, which, uh, as you're talking about tactical RPGs, is a game I'm really into. Because... Yes. Oh, I should have uh, given that as an no, example. No, it's fine. Anyway, but yeah. I think it's an interesting example because the, the tactical depth in Bander Saga is maybe not that deep. But right, like, right. all the things it does super well are also evident in Pyre. Again, yeah. the visuals, mm -hmm. the storytelling, the music, it's all incredible. And I think that is one of the core strengths of Pyre is the world in which it places you. Cool. And it is, you know, it's really an amazing amalgamation to me of visual novel elements with RPG elements with this kind of sports element. Like, it's a little bit of sports game. Yeah. And, you know, like, so I have no interest in real sports, right? I, uh, <laughs> is that real sports much, with a Z? <laughs> yeah, much to, much to Max's chagrin, I think. Oh, crap. Mm. Is that how I pronounce chagrin? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's okay, right. cool. You, you got it. Yeah, what's the extra grid like? How, but I'm curious. What would the alternative be? Uh, Shagrin? Sh I don't oh, know. Okay, well, sure. Yeah, it's Shagrin. Uh, yeah. What's the extra grid like? Um, oh, you like mean Shagrin? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> uh. Max, like, you know, Max has been really into to football, uh, hockey. Yeah. Um, and, Those are you sports. know, I've, uh, yeah, I've, uh, my attempts to engage have never really been successful. Not really a sports guy, but I will play RPGs with sports elements, like, oh, yeah. all day. Like, uh, like, <laughs> there's this game for the 3DS, 
uh, or actually the original DS, uh, Inazuma Eleven, yeah. which is the soccer RPG. And uh, and really, all you need to do to get me interested in soccer, apparently, is to turn it into an anime. Right. Well, that um, didn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, the most the most I've ever got into football, the American sport, is uh, is this manga called Ice Shield Twenty One. Uh, but that's you know, don't that, sell yourself so short. There was yeah. a period where we played like maybe three hours of NFL Street. Oh, true. <laughs> um. And- and NFL Blitz actually yeah, yeah. means very much to me. I have a very special uh, place in my heart for NFL Blitz. Um, but yeah, uh, just because there's sports in a game, if like if it's this RPG like setting, uh, I can still get like really into it. Uh, so I have been intrigued by Pyre. Um, I, I think for me, kind of one of the really amazing things about Pyre is. And we'll talk about this more once you've played it, certainly. But yeah. the gameplay loop, the sports gameplay loop, is fine. Cool. It's not not even maybe as engaging as Blitzball was for me. But <laughs> I, I want to I want to take like a, a quick sidebar just to like emphasize like your love for like Blitzball. I remember maybe... like I I remember like uh, I think like you were showing me your your Final Fantasy X file. Uh, at one point, and I'm like, "Hey, as cool a, kids like, do, yeah." Like, yeah, I, I think, I think I was watching you play Final Fantasy X or something. I'm like, "Hey, like, I didn't realize that Final Fantasy X was this long. You have like a hundred hours put into this game. I didn't realize this was a hundred hour game." And you're like, "Oh no, uh, fifty hours of that was Blitzball. <laughs> oh, it was fifty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it might have been fifty. Yeah. It's really look if if Square." stopped making a Final Fantasy VII remake <laughs> yeah. and instead made a standalone Blitzball game. <laughs> I would buy it tomorrow and I would never play another video. <laughs> but in some way, that's kind of what we have with Pyre. But the point being that it's that it's not even necessarily how engaging the gameplay loop of, of the sports is, but it's rather the character decisions, the story decisions you have to make within repeating those loops that has me a hundred percent sucked in. Cool, and I, I have heard a little about that. But basically, like, um, the story, uh, sort of develops depending on how good you are at the at the sport. Basically, right? Like, like, uh, and to be clear, it's not that you have to be good for the story to develop. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Like, basically, like how, or rather, how you do in these in these uh, magical blitzball matches. Um, like sort of shapes what happens in the story yeah. in some ways, uh, and that's they, interesting. They make you really reconcile with what it means to win and to lose in a way that like does not happen with Madden and does not happen with NBA Two K eighteen. Like winning and losing in the world in which they've they've set up has a completely different meaning, and it is not. It's real. It's a real uh, tangible meaning. And the fact that they were able to do that with, a, with again, a very simplistic gameplay loop is, I think it's phenomenal. And I think there are characters that you are instantly, you specifically, not generally, but you, Daniel, <laughs> are instantly going to fall in love with. Cool. And you're going to instantly identify with and want to see more of and also want to protect. And I think that will be what hooks you about this game. Cool. I'm, I'm interested and I'm, like next episode, I'm going to tell you which characters those are because I, I believe you when you say that. Um, oh yeah, 
yeah, I'm cool. I'm I'm excited. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll pick it up. I'll give it a shot. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, <laughs> the first episode of Video Game News Recap and also some talking about Pyre. It's called Play This. <laughs> that's that's what we decided to to shorten that all to. So I think what uh, we have like, do we have like a final like closing segment in mind? No, no. Okay. Um, well, if you're uh, if you're listening, um, thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for thanks, mom. <laughs> thank thanks for investing your time in this. Uh, but also, uh, we'd love to hear from you guys and what you think. If you've played Pyre, send us a tweet at Play This Podcast, and we will read some of them on the next episode when we talk about Pyre. Uh, you can also send an email to playthiscast at gmail dot com and uh, yeah, send send us send us stuff. We like reading your feedback and pyre commentary. What do you think, Max? I was just trying to see how long you were going to string that one out. I also want to say thank you to Sean for um, crafting lovingly our wonderful intro and outro theme. Yes, uh, so thank you, Sean, for that. And uh, once again, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Yeah. Bye. Game over.